Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was young, uh, from an early age, I was discipled in the way of the Denver Broncos. (laughs) At the time, I was uh, living in a place called Quincy, Illinois. Uh, Quincy, Illinois is is a border town uh, in between the land of the Rams, who were living down in St. Louis at the time. Oh, man, the outline of Quincy's not there. All right, imagine Illinois over over that Quincy thing. But in between the Rams and up in the north were the Chicago Bears. Uh, And so it was a little odd for me uh, that I was following uh, uh, the Broncos, a team so foreign and so distant uh, from Quincy. But I did. Uh, because my dad discipled me in the way of the Denver Broncos. And my dad taught me uh, uh, players' names and their roles, uh, players like John Elway, Shannon Sharp, Terrell Davis. These were the glory days of the Broncos uh, under Mike Shanahan. And he told me uh, stories of, of key moments in the Denver Broncos' history, like the drive when quarterback John Elway took the Broncos, 98 yards in five minutes and two seconds to tie the game against the Cleveland Browns with 37 seconds left on the clock. And the Broncos would go on to win that game. And my dad also taught me the right chance in cheers, not the, uh, uh, the Lambo leap, as it were, but uh, the mile-high salute. And, of course, he decked us out with the apparel that we needed to, to show to the world that we we're Broncos fans. I show them who we followed. Uh, we talked a lot about football growing up. As we sat in our house on Sunday afternoons watching the game, or as we walked on the way uh, to the stadium uh, for the occasional game we caught out in Denver. Uh, sometimes Dad would even let us stay up uh, for Monday night football, even though it was a school night. And I would usually fall asleep before the game ended in the living room uh, on a pillow. So so we even talked football uh, as I laid down. Uh, There was a lot of Denver Bronco discipling going on in our household. And I wonder if the same is true uh, for you. Is there something that your mom or your dad uh, passed down, handed down to you? a tradition, uh, or maybe a hobby, maybe even a skill set that you like to use or, or went on to use for your career? What's something that your, your mom or your dad uh, taught you? Well, whatever it was, you were being discipled. Your mom and your dad was discipling you. Right? We learned last week from Pastor Aaron in his sermon that uh, the word disciple just means learner. And to be a disciple is just to be someone who is learning from someone else. And in his sermon, Pastor Aaron was calling for us to be uh, disciples and disciple makers. Right? Echoing Jesus' words in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make more learners of of who Jesus is and what He has done for us. 
And today, this week, we're going to be looking at being disciples and disciple-makers from the vantage point of a family in our homes. Now, what does it look like for us to, to follow Jesus as a family, and uh, how can we be disciples and disciple-makers in our homes? And I want to start right out by saying, you already are those things. You are already disciples and disciple-makers as family. The parents, grandparents, you are disciple-makers. Research has shown and sociology, uh, sociologists have studied again and again the, the magnificent impact parents have upon their children. The children, uh, whether we want to or not, inevitably end up following our parents' lead. It's been shown again and again. Uh, your parenting has an incredible effect on your children. And so kids, whether you like it or not, uh, you guys are disciples, and you're going to end up inevitably uh, modeling a lot of your parents' behavior in your own life. Believe it or not, that, that will happen to you. I see it more and more happening uh, to me. So parents, you are disciple makers, and kids, you are disciples. And this same uh, phenomena, this, us embodying the way our parents raised us, this applies to our faith formation as well. A lot of times we think that the place where we uh, primarily grow in our faith or are shaped in our faith is in church. Here. And sure enough, I mean, this is a place where faith formation happens. I hope you guys are growing in your faith today. But when it comes to your faith, it's really the home that has more sway over a child's faith formation. So, how do we disciple our children well? How do we raise them and train them up in the faith? Well, Moses, in our text from Deuteronomy 6, uh, answered that question uh, for the people of Israel. Uh, They were gathered there in the plains of Moab for uh, a a great discipleship convention, uh, just on the other side of the promised land before entering in. And Moses is there uh, discipling the leaders, the heads of the people of Israel, so that they will then disciple their own children so that the whole community of Israel would end up discipling the entire world. Moses would say earlier uh, in chapter 4, he would say, Keep and do these statutes, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. God's people were to be so rooted in who God is and what He had done for the people that, that the rest of the world would kind of do a, a little bit of a double take when they saw the Israelites. That there would be something so different about these families that the rest of the world would notice based on who God was and what He had done for them as He had rescued them from the Egyptians. And there are three things in this passage that Moses wants the people uh, to hand down to the next generation. 
a command, a creed, that's right, I couldn't remember number two, and a covenant. And these are the very things that we can share with our children as well. First, Moses shares a command. He says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may fear the Lord your God and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes all the days of your life, that your days may be long. The statutes and the rules that Moses is referring to are actually the Ten Commandments, uh, which he just outlined in the chapter before this in Deuteronomy 5. The Ten Commandments, those commandments that you were taught way back when you were in confirmation, can you recall them? And do you remember all ten of the commandments? Now, the commandments themselves seem, on the surface, very basic, right? Uh, kind of straightforward things you feel like everyone should know. Don't gossip, don't envy, don't steal, don't murder. But as you dig deeper into the fullness of what each commandment means, you discover that these commandments are actually very, very difficult to master. They're not the kind of things you can read once and and put into practice the next day. Uh, They take continual reading, continual practice uh, to adopt them. Uh, So much so that uh, Martin Luther said himself, he said, I am also a doctor and a preacher, uh, just as learned and as experienced as uh, all of them who are so high and mighty. And nevertheless, each morning and whenever else I have time, I do as a child who is being taught the catechism, and I read and recite word for word the Ten Commandments, and yet I cannot master it as I wish, but must remain a child and a pupil." And this is exactly what Moses was calling the people to do, to have these words of God on their heart, to recite them, to to, to teach them. Uh, These words, the, the Ten Commandments, Moses says, these shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk about them when you sit in your house and and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. And there are many opportunities every day where these words of God, these guiding words can help us choose uh, to live in the way that God would have for us, but only if we're aware of them. And for our kids, only if they have been taught what these words are. And so, if you don't remember these words, uh, pop your Bible open to Deuteronomy 5 and revisit them. Or grab your catechism out if you know where that's at, or come talk to me if you want one, and reread those commandments, and you'll find that they have so much practical guidance for decisions that we make every single day as we go about our life. But remember that these commands and these words, they were given so that it might go well with you in the land. They were given to you for your good. And God only commands us to do what is good for us. 
And so as we try to follow these commands ourselves, we can then turn and instruct our kids to do the same so that it might go well for them too. That is the command that Moses gives. Uh, But he follows it right up uh, with a second thing. He follows it up with a creed, a statement of faith. Uh, Moses is teaching them who their God is uh, so that they can teach their children who God is. And the creed that Moses gives them, it's called uh, the great Shema. Shema is the Hebrew word for hear, listen. So it's called the great Shema. And actually, uh, Jewish people still recite this creed twice every single day. This is a key statement in all of the Old Testament. We heard it in verse 4 of our reading. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, that sounds a little odd to our ears, probably, as a creed. Uh, There's a couple of reasons that might sound a little odd. One is that in the Hebrew language, sometimes you have to to insert the word is. They don't have a word is in Hebrew, and so that doesn't always come through in the English. Uh, And the other thing to remember is that anytime you see the word Lord in all capitals, uh, especially in the Old Testament, that's signaling to you God's personal name. It's actually his name, Yahweh, which he spoke to Moses in Exodus 3 at the burning bush. Uh, So really, this creed uh, could could actually say, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. He is God alone. There is none other like him. He is unique. He is one of a kind. Because Yahweh, our God, is a personal God. All other gods of the culture surrounding Israel were far away, distant gods. And the people had to appease those gods, otherwise, they believed they would bring calamity upon themselves. But our God, Yahweh, is different. Our God is personal. And he doesn't want the people of Israel to forget it. Uh, that's why he said in verse 12 uh, of our reading, he said, Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land and the house of slavery. God does not want the people to forget that he came down to rescue them from Egypt. And that saving activity actually happened before he ever gave them the Ten Commandments or any of these laws. His saving activity, his redemption, that came by grace alone. And this same personal God is your God. And he has rescued you in your life again and again in the same way, not by your works, not by your own merit or goodliness in of yourself, but by grace alone. And he came down personally to do it. Now, do you know your own salvation story? Now, we saw one already today at the baptism of little Rory. In Rory's baptism, God came down 
in those waters to, to cleanse Rory of his sins, to wash him clean and to claim him as his own, uh, to speak to Rory the words, you are my son whom I love. Today I am making you mine. And no other God is like that. Every other God of every religion, even present day, requires you to go to them. They require you to, to be good enough to follow, uh, whether if, if it's Judaism, it's following the commandments, or whether it's uh, a Hinduism, you need to, to uh, achieve uh, moksha by living an ethical life. All these other religions require you to be good, but God, God comes down first, and He makes you good by His own doing. He comes to you to rescue you, and that's what He did to Rory this morning, and He will do again and again in, in Rory's life, and I imagine that is probably true in your own life. Now just think back in your own life, how many times have you experienced having your back against the wall or having uh, the chips be down or things not looking good, but then somehow, some way, things make a turn? You couldn't explain how it happened, but, but things were not going well, and, and, and all of a sudden, something changes. And you were not alone in that. Or can you think of a time when maybe you were at the end of your rope. You know, maybe life just felt bleak. Maybe that's where you're at this morning, even. Life feels difficult or dark, and, and maybe there's something that's causing that. I mean, maybe there's uh, been a relationship that's been torn from you, or something that you've done that's, that's tearing you up inside, and you can't get out of it. You feel stuck in it. Well, that, friends, is, is bondage. That's slavery. That is your Egypt. But I tell you today that God comes to you. He is here, and He comes to you with that same full forgiveness for you. He comes to you, and He speaks the same words, saying, You are my child. Come to me. Be restored. Learn of my love for you. Let me take you out of this place of slavery, uh, whether it's to sin or to guilt. Let me remove that from you and, and be freed. Have that lifted. Because, my child, I have come down to you through my Son, Jesus, who paid for all of your sin and guilt by, by His exodus. His exodus from Jerusalem to the cross, where He rescued us with His mighty hands, pierced for you and me. Be free. I would imagine that at some point in your life, some of you can remember a time like that. When you experience that freedom of God that He had to offer you, when you experience His salvation just a little bit more tangibly. Pass that along to your children. 
pass that story along to your children. And actually, kids, this is the point uh, in the story where you come in, right? We heard it in verse 20. It says, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that Yahweh commanded? What's the point of all this? Then you shall say, and how are the parents to respond? by the story of their salvation, by the story of how God had come down and rescued them in their lives, where God had delivered them. Know your salvation story and pass that along to your children. Think back on your own life where God was was working with you and, and, and calling you towards Himself, where God delivered you from something. And share that with your kids. And finally, uh, Moses passes on to the people a third thing. He passes on to them a covenant. And a covenant is a promise of a walk between two uh, parties together where there are expectations of both parties. So earlier in, in Exodus, God says, I will be your God which means I'm going to rescue you, I'm going to save you and deliver you, and you will be my people. And then God gives the people the terms for their relationship. He says, uh, here's the law, here's the Ten Commandments. And the people say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. But it's a covenant, not a contract. It's based on a relationship not what either will get out of, of this agreement. And so if, if, if one side is to break the covenant, the contract isn't void because it's not a contract. Right? If, if one side doesn't keep up their end of the bargain, the relationship still continues. And let's face it, we've all faced challenges sharing with our children, passing down who God is, and what He has done for us, uh, let alone trying to keep His Word in our lives. And that was true of the Israelites as well. They were also given this law to practice, to shape their lives around. But they didn't do it. The Israelites didn't do it. Uh, They did not fear, and they did not hear. They did not listen and obey. There were distractions. Things came up. (laughs) They stopped paying attention. They forgot. They had things to do, uh, other things, and, and they were not careful to do what God had said. They did not live up to their identity as God's people, and they did not keep His law perfectly, and things did not go well for them. Yet God remained faithful, like a father or mother to their child, even when that child doesn't always listen so well. God so loved His people. He remained faithful to His side of that covenant relationship. He remained faithful to His promise to always be this people's God and to send them the one that He had promised them from the beginning, the rescuer, Jesus. And this same God has loved you 
and welcomes you back into his arms every time that you have wandered because of what his son did for you on the cross. And that faithful, committed, covenantal love is something that we can all strive to embody for everyone in our lives, but, but especially for our children. Now, I began this sermon this morning by talking about my dad uh, discipling me. But my dad didn't only disciple me uh, in the way of the Denver Broncos. And my dad did his best to listen to Moses and to pass on to me this command and, and creed and covenant. And my dad did his best to share Jesus with me. And my dad was the pastor of the church I attended as a kid, so I guess that was kind of inevitable, right, that he would share Jesus with me. But it wasn't only in the church. He also shared Jesus with me at home. Much like the Broncos, he talked about Jesus with me as we sat in our house, uh, going through a Portals of Prayer devotional book after dinner, which we have in the back if you want one. My dad would talk to me about Jesus uh, on the way to the bus stop, uh, praying over the day I was about to embark on as a, as a middle schooler, as a high schooler. And my dad would talk about Jesus with me, even as he punished us <laughs> for our bad behavior, uh, but always telling us why he was punishing us, out of love, wanting to train us up in the way that we should go, and telling us that we were forgiven, uh, just as Jesus had forgiven him. And my dad, he, t- he taught me about Jesus as we laid down to sleep, uh, praying with us every night, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I can't thank my dad enough for passing down his faith to me. Because while the Bronco games were fun, and they still are, we actually still try to get to one every year, it's my faith in Jesus that has carried me through all of the struggles and the darkness and the difficulty of this life. And it is Jesus who has rescued me again and again from the problems of the world and from the problems in myself. And I wouldn't know him the way I do if it wasn't for my dad. So parents and grandparents, I hope you hear Jesus' invitation to you today. That you have this same faith in Jesus. God is working it in you by His Spirit, which you received at your baptism. This is the reason you're here today. God has drawn you back to this place by His Spirit, that you might go by His Spirit and teach your families, teach your children. You have a whole life that God has been working in as well. Share it. Share it with your children and your grandchildren. All those moments where God has been with you. Hear Jesus' invitation to you today. Follow me. Go and be family. Amen. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, may it guard our hearts and minds, the one true faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.